I don't know. Well, all right. Let me just tell you the whole. Here's the whole story. Coming up on the Lone Star Plate. Okay. All right. So, what is your idea? Take your album Lonely Land and just very simply talk about each song. Just boom, 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 boom. Go through each one. You, you, you just yeah. Give Let's some do back. it. You're listening to the Lone Star Plate podcast with your host. Patrick Scott Armstrong. Before you do yeah. that, though, I just want to tell you that I do have this rose for this podcast. And um, before we go any further, yeah. would you accept this rose? We're legally wed now, according to <laughs> the law, the ancient laws of Asgard. <laughs> okay. All right. So what is your idea? Take your album Lonely Land and just very simply talk about each song. Just boom, 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 boom. Go through each one. You, you, you just yeah. want to give Let's some backstory, it. this, that, or the other. Before we get to the tracks, let's back up and let Bob explain how the album came together. Bob Schneider's Lonely Land released March 13th, 2001. Producer Carl Teal. It's Carl Teal. Oh, Thiel? My bad. Carl, Carl Thiel, yeah. Oh, my bad. So let me tell you the whole story about how I even started working with Carl Thiel. Yeah. This was uh, in 90, I want to say it was 99. I was doing a Tuesday night show with a band called The Scabs at Antones. Every Tuesday it was a packed thing. If it was Tuesday night, that's where you were going. It's where all the ladies were. And we would get celebrities there. That's where I met Sandra Bullock, and um, she came to a couple shows. And then after one show, she's like, hey, I'm producing this movie. Do you have any music that might work in the film? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. And I didn't really, I didn't know her. You know, I just met her once or twice. And so I was like, we exchanged email addresses. I sent her this song that I wrote called Round and Round. And she was like, oh, I like this song. Let's record it in a studio. And so she was working with Carl Thiel already because he does a lot of movie stuff. He, he works with Robert Rodriguez. So we meet like, I don't know, a few days later at Carl Thiel's studio. He's a super nice guy. We record uh, this song Round and Round. I think maybe with my band, I don't remember. We might've just done it ourselves. I, 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 I don't know. That's how bad my memory is. <laughs> But we record this song round and round. And while we're there, Carl's like, oh, I like this song. Do you have any other songs? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, can I record you playing them? So he sets up a mic and uh, for the guitar and for my vo vocal. And I sing him like eight or nine songs. Oh, wow. And that, that recording becomes my first Bob Schneider record, song sung and played on guitar at the same time. Um, because because wow. because a, a couple days later he he he's like hey man this recording turned out really good do you want to do anything with it and I'm like yeah sure why not I'll I'll put it as a CD I'd I'd already started playing um, at the Saxon Pub un, under the name Lonely Land I was playing there every every uh, Monday night and I'd been doing that for I don't know less than a year and I was like oh that'll be something cool I can sell at that show so. But then he also, he's like, hey, man, if you want to come to the studio and record these songs with me, I'll just do it for free. And then 
when it's done, we can figure out, you know, a way for you to pay me back. I mean, that was like a too good of a deal. So I was like, yeah, sure. So I get the band to go down there and, and we just started recording. I don't know, like a week or two later. And it took us probably, I don't know, maybe a, a week of going in there every day, maybe five days to record the basic tracks. And then Carl really, the whole thing was a real labor of love for him. He really did a ton of editing and really kind of Frankenstein everything together. And then we got some people in there. We got the Grooveline horns to come in and some other people, which we can talk about if we're going to go song by song, but that's kind of the, how the whole thing got started. First song, metal, metal and steel. Track one, metal and steel. I wrote that song when I was breaking up with my ex-wife. Um, I, uh, it's weird. I, I was, I don't know. Well, all right, let me just tell you the whole, here's the whole story. I started seeing a therapist and when I went into therapy, I, I had a terrible therapist, by the way, if you, I, I recommend therapy, if you're for anybody, whether you think you need it or not, go in and get some therapy. It's great. So I, 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 I got into therapy and, and I got in through Sims, which is a great organization. It allowed me to go to a therapist. I think I was paying 10 bucks a session and I'm just, wow. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a cheap person. I was, I grew up really poor. And so I just don't have a, I have a hard time spending money, especially on myself. So the idea of spending money on therapy, that wasn't going to happen. But, oh, 10 bucks. I can spend 10 bucks. Yeah. So I started seeing this therapist and I realized fairly quickly on that this relationship that I had with this lady who then was my girlfriend, but now is my ex-wife, um, just mirrored the relationship I had with my kind of my mom and dad, mainly my dad, which is very combative. And, and it was a relationship I didn't want to really be in and so and because i was new to therapy and i didn't really know anything about relationships i was like well i should get out of this relationship so we broke up but we broke up at a time when normally i would have just stayed in the relationship for another year before we broke up and so i still had all these feelings for her, but i also didn't want to be in the relationship with her so so I wrote this song called Metal and Steel, where I was just like pretending to be like a, a robot with no feelings, oh. even though I was having a lot of feelings about it. But that's what that song for me is about, is about kind of using my mind to make a decision instead of my heart. And then I am a robot. I will make the right decision for me because this is but basically what i found out later on is all of my relationships are going to mirror the relationship i had with my parents cuz that's what i'm attracted to but i didn't know it at the time and my my therapist wasn't a good she wasn't good and so she didn't tell me either she yeah. didn't go hey like 
you don't need to break up with this person because the next person you get into a relationship with is also going to mirror that relationship with your parents. So you just need to deal with your relationship with your parents, not break up with everybody who reminds you of that because that's what you're going to be attracted to. Yeah. Like you're basically so. going to run into this problem over and over again. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, until, wow. until you change your relationship with your, sure. with your parents, with your parents really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. That's right. Look, a lot of people are going to relate to that, to be honest. Before we get to track two, let's hear from Bob's fans. I recently met with members of the family Facebook group over Zoom to discuss Bob and his album, Lonely Land. You can Google F-A-Y-M to learn what that means. Bob fans already know. The group is united in their love for Bob Schneider and his music. Here's some highlights from that discussion. The first time you you heard Bob? Oh, I have a friend. We have the same music interest. So she was like, okay, if you love David Gray, then you're going to lo love Amos Lee, which I do him too. And then she was like, and Bob Schneider. And so, you know, I hear these names, but I didn't look into it right away. But then I watched a movie where um, Bob, two of Bob's songs were in it. Um, it's called The um, Lost Husband. Anyway, so I heard the music, I was like, who is that? Oh my God, I love it. And then I look it up and it's Bob Schneider. So I call my friend and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love him. <laughs> pay attention more when you tell me who I should love. But and, and since then, um, huge fan. And we were like, who is this guy? And he came out and this was right when Lonely Land came out and he was just an entire vibe. He had like a three piece brass section. He had like bongo drums. There was like 10 people on the stage. It was completely like a total party. And then he came out and did some songs with Train after. It was so, so cool. And we were like, who the heck is this guy? Where did this come from? And we, my roommate and I ran to Waterloo the next day and bought the CD and we had, you know, grabbed posters off the wall of him um, at the show. And yeah, we were just instant fans from then on. And that led me to Let the Light In. And that song honestly healed a broken heart for me. Um, the guy that introduced me to Bob ended up dying from alcoholism a few years later. And um, I had a really hard time dealing with that and the divorce and everything else. And so Let the Light In really um, is my go-to, kind of like my pacifier. <laughs> Track two, Big Blue Sea. I wrote Big Blue Sea again. A lot of my songs usually are about relationships. They're not necessarily, I never, I always say they're not autobiographical because the actual events that happen in the songs don't mirror the events that happen in my life. I make up the events, sure. but usually emotionally they mirror whatever's going on. I got into a fight, same woman, my ex-wife, when we were still together, we had some huge argument. And again, because that relationship mirrored the sort of chaotic craziness of my youth you know my my dad was an alcoholic my mom was a heavy drinker they partied a lot they got into a lot of fights they loved each other but then they would also argue and you know a lot of stuff that you do when you're kind of like out of control which they were and so we you know sure enough, we'd have our disagreements and they blow ups and stuff and so we had one of those and and i was feeling bad 
at the time. And I woke up the next morning after this big argument that we had, and I wrote that song, Big Blue Sea, which really for me, at the especially at that point in my life, I felt like, oh, this is like a real adult relationship song. It's not like Candyman, you know, or so, you know what I mean? Or it just felt like a real, like, this is a real relationship. I, you know, we'd been dating for a couple of years at that point, living together. That was like, for me, that was a long time. That was the longest relationship I'd been in. I'd only lived with somebody one other time in my life. So it felt like a real relationship and the song felt kind of real because it wasn't grounded in this sort of like thing that happens when you first meet somebody, you're like, oh, this is the panacea. This is going to fix all my problems. I'm going to be happy forever now. It's the way past that. And now you're living together and you know who each other are. They, you know them. They know you. And then, you know, there was something about us. We lived in a really tiny 800 square little house over in Hyde Park. And, and that's what it felt. You know, it's like, you know, just it was me and her. And, you know, the verses in that song are like kind of all over the place. But then when it gets to the chorus, it's like, hey, you know, all I want to do is sink to the bottom of the ocean and be with you there at the bottom of the big blue sea, which yeah. which is really, you know, where it's calm and kind of peaceful and quiet and not all this chaos. Because the verses are kind of chaotic. Yeah. A good juxtaposition. I woke up in a stupor. I don't know what the lyrics are because I've only sang it a million times. Yeah, woke up in a <laughs> What is it? I woke up in a stupor. Don't ask me. Jesus Christ. What's I'm wrong thinking, with me that I can... I'm thinking Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me with the lyrics. Oh, my God, dude. That is a great song, though. Just regardless of the story or this or that or like. Oh, here it is. I woke I, I woke up in a stupor. I guess it's time to face the pooper. Sometimes I feel like Superman. Sometimes I'm just recuperating. And that's the way I felt. I felt like I was hung over from this argument that we had the night before. My mind feels like a 20 gauge. I hope it's a passing stage. My heart's not red. It's beige. Dude, that's maybe the best line in the whole song. That's a great line. I was going to say the other line was awesome. The way you fit in recuperating, right? Like, that's cool. I like that. That's cool. Yeah, this is when I used to know my yeah, mind worked your better. Master, your master of words. Um, I tried to tell you all about it. Thought you might have heard, but I doubt it. Every day is a waste, I know, because every day is a funeral. Cutting out, feeling lost. I've lost my mind. I'm Mr. Frost, which is what I would do. Like, in arguments, I just would go silent, you know, because I'm... I'm not a big, like, violent, like, loud person. I just, like, go internal. Yeah. I shut down. And then I just won't talk or say anything. Sure. So, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, I will I know I'll never know nobody better than I know myself, but I can't even figure out what I'm all about. I'm sinking. I'm swimming. No, wait a minute. I'm drowning. I'm not kidding around. Sometimes I think I'm going to make it. Sometimes I fake it. Wow. Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy yeah. song. Uh, really for is. like a love for a love song 
Sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're such a master with the words there. Um, it, it really just paints a picture. Well, it definitely, I do feel like people ask me, like, what's your favorite song? That's definitely in the top 10 of any of the songs that I've written. And wow. it is one of those songs that I just kind of wrote kind of right there on the spot. It wasn't exactly the way it ended up being on the record, but it was close enough. Sure. So uh, it's a timeless song uh, for sure. I'm sure. Right. Like it, you could feel like you wrote that yesterday and you play that. I'm sure. Yeah. It doesn't feel dated to me at all. Yeah. And I no. can play it solo. I can play with the band and yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think the whole, I mean, that, I think one of the things about the whole record is that, there's not a song on that record that I can't play solo acoustic, which is saying a lot because that's not the case on all of my other records. There's at least two or three songs on every record that I just can't play solo and wouldn't want to play solo because they're that's just like kind of half-baked ideas. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. You would want a full band or there's songs you just never want to play live ever again. Is that what it is? Well, they're just not good enough, you know? Like, I've written over 2,000 songs now. I want to play the best songs wow. yeah, that I've written. Or or if not the best songs, at least songs that are new and kind of fresh. Sure. Um, those are always fun to play as well. Of course. All right, look, let's move on to this um, this next song. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Jingy. Track three. Jingy. Mm -hmm. Track number three, Jingy. Yeah. So that's a song about my um, addiction. I've been sober for 27 years. So when I wrote this record, I was probably sober about four years. And when I wrote that song, I was probably maybe sober two, two and a half years. So... Do you remember yeah, the exact date you got? So like day, year, month, date, like every. Yeah. August, August 20th, 95. Wow. Was the last, the last time I had a drink was August 19th, 2000, uh, 1995. <laughs> Wait, 2000. Wait, Bob, you blew it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm drinking right now, dude. Busted. <laughs> This looks, I know this. Now I know what ice cream meant, right? Ice cream. This is a <laughs> just a cup of gin I'm drinking right now. Jesus Christ, I'm fucked up. <laughs> I've never been, never been more drunk than I am right now. No, so yeah, August 20th was my first day of sobriety. And so, yeah, so Jingy is just a song about that monkey um, that was on my back. And what's funny is it is kids, like, kids love that song so when the record came out like you know all these adults that had kids they were playing the record they're like oh my son's favorite song is jingy i'm like well that's, that's the one of, you know good luck keep an eye on that kid you know <laughs> reserve reserve a rehab for that guy because <laughs> it's coming reserve a rehab can you do that like 15 years Pre Listen, yeah. my son is gonna be here in 15 years <laughs> I mean, I'm getting one ready for my daughter, and she's only eight. <laughs> I got one picked out for her when she's 14 on her 14th birthday. I'm going to give her a gift card for the nearest rehab. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. So it's about, yeah, that's interesting. Chingy. The coolest thing about the recording, so 
the people in the band at the time, it was Bruce Hughes on bass, Mike Longoria on drums, David Boyle played keyboards, and we had um, Steve Bruton. Stephen Bruton was the guitar player. He's passed now. He he died of cancer. And he he was kind of famous right at the end of his life because he was sort of the consultant for that um, Crazy Heart um, movie oh, with Jeff wow. Bridges. So, yeah. Yes. So, so he was the guy that Jeff Bridges and turned to, to like, Hey, is our, is what I'm doing? Is this like the, like the correct way to hold a guitar? Am I singing right? Am I like, there's a the famous scene at the beginning of the, of the movie where he like pulls up and he's like been peeing in that, you know, plastic jug, you know, so he wouldn't have to stop, you know, on the road. Sure. All that came from Bruton. Wow. So, so and and Bruton was this amazing guitar player, but he was just an amazing guy too. I met him in in the rooms of AA, um, and then asked him to play with me in in Lonely Land when I started when I started playing. Um, and the and the reason I even started playing solo was Stephen Bruton had a had a thing going called the Resentments, and they were all sober guys and they were playing on sunday nights at saxon pub and and so after i met him in aa he was like hey you should come down and sit in and do a song at the saxon pub uh with the resentments and i went down there and played 2002 which is on this record and uh and i was like oh this is the place for me to do my solo thing. Cause at the time I was playing with the scabs. We were playing at Antone's. It was packed. There was like 900 people in there every Tuesday. It was craziness, wow. but I couldn't do like songs like 2002 or Madeline steel or any of these songs with the scabs. Cause it would just slow the party down. So I was like, maybe this is the place to do it. So that's, I, I went to Joe Abel's who owned Saxon pub. And I was like, Hey, what's your worst night? And he said, Monday. And I'm like, could I play Monday nights, like 8.30 to 10.30? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And now I've been doing it for 24 years. Yeah, that's quite amazing. That has to be the longest running tenure in Austin, right? Can't think of one. I don't, I mean, who knows? There might be one you've never heard of. I mean, some, but not a good one. No offense. No, de no definitely the best longest, for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, so... The the wonderful thing about uh, about Jingy, the recording, is that at one point while we're recording it, and Stephen was in there recording the guitar part, he just starts shouting into the pickup on his electric guitar, and so that thing that happens at the beginning of the song, bow, bow, and then you hear like hey hey like the shouting, that's Bruton shouting into his electric guitar, and that's the only time you really hear him. Uh, hear his voice on the record so it's kind of a, a special recording just for that alone sure i didn't know you could do something like that no, uh, none of us did <clears throat> yeah <laughs> i taught you that's man what a great story that's a great story all right next song track four bullets Number four, Bullets. Love this song. So Bullets. All, this is a good song. Bullets I wrote. 
I just, I wrote that. It's a weird song. I wrote it one morning and uh, I didn't know what, it was one of those songs where you're just writing a song. You're not really sure what it's about. I still don't know really what it's about. I think it's about, I think it's about, you know, what makes, I don't know, what makes, uh, you know, what makes a gun work? The bullets. It's not the gun. It's the bullets. The, the bullets are the ammo. They're the thing that create all the energy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, but it's, it's one of those, song- dude, I write songs like this all the time where I just write the song and I don't ask a lot of questions. I don't expect things to make sense. I'm just writing them down because they sound cool. I mean, I think every that's... song can't be this like, you know, major backstory and all that, right? Like, how would you get to two thousand songs? Uh, yeah, I mean, you possible. just write it. You write it down, and and uh, you know, it's just kind of a fun song. There's lots of fun imagery in it. Um, I like the that that chord progression is kind of weird. Like somebody taught me this. They call it the uh, the Jimi Hendrix chord. It's this one. This thing. You're just repeating that same chord in four places on the neck. And then I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I just started wrapping some weird shit on top of it. And then started singing you got the bullets <laughs> and uh i, I love again, that song i do too and it's fun and it's another song that i can play and nobody's asking questions about it sure. nobody you know now have there been a bunch of fucking shootings where you know like in nightclubs and in concerts and shit in schools and stuff did somebody bring the bullets I mean, I think about it sometimes when I'm playing it. I'm like, well, you know, it's definitely when I wrote it, there hadn't been as many shootings as there are now. You know, I wrote that in the late 90s. There's probably been 300 public shootings since then, you know. So there is that thing, you know, time can change the meaning of something we'll get to that in some other songs but that's interesting i do do like that song a lot yeah that's an interesting comment though i I know what you mean that's interesting the other thing Uh, about bullets it's kind of cool the groove line horns came in and played on that song and i'm i guess i was playing with them in the with the scabs at the time so i asked them to come in and they 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 added that horn line part on bullets um anyways and it's really that horn line part that they came up with is a really integral part of that song and when it came time to putting the record out they were like we should get some songwriting credit on here and i'm like nah but but if i had to do it over again i i would have worked out some kind of deal with them and said yeah you you need like a little bit of credit here because even when i play it solo now I'll sing that horn line. Yeah. Like it is part of the song. Sure. Uh 
of course now at this point it doesn't matter because you can't sell records and I don't make any money off of it anyways it's all universal but I do regret not giving them a little bit of credit for that uh they probably deserve but again who who's you know the groove line horns or is it Rollo that wrote it or Fernie who wrote the line and did they grab it from something else that I don't know yeah, lots of lots of times I would hear one of those groove line horn riffs and I'd be like oh this is amazing and then later on I'd be like hear a tower power record or something like oh that's or macy i'd be like oh shit that's the same like <laughs> so you know who knows who knows where the credit goes but but they p- played a really important part and i think the other thing i think maybe yogi musgrove came in he either played bass on this song or round and round uh i don't know i can't remember but i you know the Groovline horns, they they were definitely on that track. And uh and there's a bridge too that they did that I just never play. I haven't played that bridge in 20 years. Wow. Well, maybe next time you play no, it, I'll you never, throw that bridge. I'll in. never never play it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that bridge is dead to me. Now somebody's gonna be requesting that at the concert. The bridge from bullets. There is a universe that can't be seen. Track five. The world exploded into love. Number five, let's jump into this song here. The world exploded into love. Yeah, this is this is really a good song. Uh, not, I mean, they all really are. That's the beauty of this album. Well, the the song comes from uh, again. It's from it really the the root of it. The the line "The world exploded into love" is really just me reestablishing some connection to a higher power. When I was a kid, I was real religious. I was brought up Catholic. I really believed that God was watching my every move, could read my mind. Like we went to church every Sunday. And then when I was a teenager, I was like, well, this, none of this makes sense. It all seems fabricated to me. I tried a bunch of different religions. Uh, friends of mine were Mormons or Baptists. I tried those churches. All of them kind of came down to the same thing, which was like, oh, all of these are just ways to manipulate people. They get you to do whatever they wanted you to do, whoever was in kind of in control at the time. So I just kind of threw it all out. I was like, well, I don't believe in these, in the dogma. I don't believe in these religious texts. So that's it for me. No God. When I got sober, I had to find some higher power to believe in. And I I remember when I was at rehab, I went to the counselor. I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to stay sober because I don't believe in God. And they were like, well, you can just believe in AA and that'll get you through. And so I did that for a while. But then because I worked the program of AA, this weird thing happened where through working the program, I ended up having a relationship with a, with a higher power or and for me, what that means is like, it's something that I think is responsible for this experience that I'm having, that we're having. I call it God, just because that's an easy term to use. But a lot, when I say God, a lot of people think I'm talking about a Christian God or some kind of religious book God, but it's I'm just using it as a generic term for 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 whatever it is that's responsible 
for creating this experience that we're having. And, and that relationship, that rekindling of that relationship with a higher power was this really kind of joyous thing that happened where I really felt doomed. I felt like everything was doom and gloom. I hated the world. The only thing that helped was alcohol. And once I took the alcohol away, I was like, oh, now it's just doom and gloom without the medicine. And then all of a sudden there was this idea, well, I don't, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe there is something I don't know about that is unexplainable that can't be explained or known. Maybe there's more to this experience than I'm aware of. And then that cracked something in me and that, and that thing, when I cracked, some light came through and that light, this hope that I had was this amazing feeling of like lightness. And I read some books at the time. One of them was called Illusions. Have you ever read that book? Illusions. I don't know. It's the same guy that wrote, uh, what's the guy's name? Anyways, just look it up. Illusions. Illusions, Anyways, it's, it's about this Messiah and he doesn't want to be the Messiah anymore. So he's teaching this other guy to be the Messiah. And one of the things that happens in the book is he, he gets the Messiah handbook and he's like, anytime you need a, an answer to something, just open up the Messiah handbook and it'll tell you what the answer is. And so he opens it up and he goes, imagine a perfect world. And the guy's like, okay, got it. I'm imagining it. Then he's like, turn to the next page and says, just know that the person that created the universe or the world could imagine it more perfectly than you ever could. What? Dude, I'm telling you just that blew my mind. Cause I'm like, well, you know, why is the world so full of all this hostility and fear and violence and craziness and stuff that doesn't make any sense and people being raped and murdered and tortured and I'm like, well, maybe the world is that way because that's what makes it exciting and interesting. Sure. Sure. Like, imagine if all movies were like Hallmark, you know, rom-coms. Pretty boring. Yeah, that sounds suicidal. Like, I, I couldn't take that world. So there was this idea that maybe I don't know. Maybe I... And then that, and then this, this guy who produced the record I was working on when I got sober with the ugly Americans, he said that he believed that we chose this life that we're having. I'm like, what? That's easy for you and me to say we're white guys. We're well to do. We're in Los Angeles. We're making a record. We have plenty of money. We're fine. Yeah. I can see why you and me would choose this life. And then right then, a guy, a disabled person rolled by in one of those wheelchairs where they're like driving with a straw that's sticking out of their mouth, you know, like super oh, yeah. deformed. Yeah. I'm like, what about that guy? Do you think he chose that super deformed body? And he's like, hell yeah, he did. Because once you've done white guy, once you've done successful white guy in America, a hundred thousand times or a million times or 10 million times, you know, forever is a long time. Or even if you've done it like five times, you're like, let me, let me do something different. What can I do? Oh, I'll be disabled guy. 
I'll be guy that drives that's that's a passenger on the plane that drives into the World Trade Center. I'll be the person that gets murdered. I'll be the one that gets drugged and raped and eaten by Gacy. I'll be Gacy. Dude, once I wow. started wrapping my mind around that, that, that life is like a movie that you decide what you want to be and what you want to go see before you're even born. Dude, I like that. Wow. I was like, this is kind of a cool thing. And it explains all the horrible stuff that happens. You know, like, I don't like to go see horror movies, but one of my best friends loves horror movies and that's all he watches are horror movies, but I don't like them. Yeah. I'm more of a rom-com guy. <laughs> and John Wick. So anyways, all of that is to say, I had this profound sort of spiritual breakthrough where I was like, I don't know anything. Maybe there is a God. Maybe God loves me. Maybe I'm just playing a part that I chose before I was even born. Maybe this life is something I chose. It's all a mystery. I don't know anything. I'm going to believe in God because I like it's comforting to me. That's the world exploded into love. That's what it means for me. And that's what that song's about. So, wow. It's a wow. love song. It's a love song to the world and God and life. And a lot of people play it at weddings, though, because they're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like their first dance song which i get because it's about Not anymore no I'm no kidding. no but it's about a really all of my songs are about relationships that's really yeah. all they're about sure it's usually my relationship with something or other this is my relationship with god but you know that most i read some study somewhere that said people's relationship with god is almost identical to the relationship with their father so if you have this like combative relationship with your dad which i did then you'll have a combative relationship with god which is kind of what i did like my relationship with my dad was like there's no talking any sense into him he's not going to listen to my feelings or care about what i'm feeling or what i'm doing he was like shut up or i'll give you something to be sorry about that was his deal yeah and that's why i felt like god was like hey none of this makes sense this is psychotic this hell and heaven and judging people you know and the god and the christian god was just seemed like a psychotic god oh yeah he's jelly he's peanut butter and jelly right that guy that god i mean i it doesn't make any sense to me i just went to church recently and i was like i don't I don't know how I don't belong are. here <laughs> well no no it's fine i don't I, I it was interesting i was like i'm and here's the thing if 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 people can buy into the cookie cutter God representations that we have, like through these books, great. Because everybody needs, you need something. You need some God in your life. And so if that works for you, hmm, great. Sure, of course. It Keep just doesn't own. work. It doesn't work for me. Um, You know, but yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that there is something that works for me. Track six, round and round. 
All right, let's jump to the next one here. This is track number six, uh, Round and Round. So Round and Round, I already talked about. That was the first song I recorded um, with Sandra Bullock for her movie. Oh, yeah. So so we recorded that. Uh, the interesting thing about that song is when I, I, I had recorded the demo at home and I had a little snippet of... of What's the Lucy. movie, by the way, that that's for? I think it was Gun Shy was the movie with Liam Neeson. Oh, I I've seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so it, it's in there. So the the original demo I had had Luciano Pavarotti, uh, a little clip of him singing the part that comes in the chorus. And and I was like, I've got this song. So I I sent I emailed it to Sandy or or got her a disc or something, and she was like, I like the song. And I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to get the the rights to this Luciano Pavarotti. And her mom is an opera singer. And there was a part of the movie where her mom's singing this aria. And she's like, well, we've already got this aria that's in the movie. Could you use that? And I'm like, send it to me. So I put that in there and it worked way better than the original thing that I had. And so when wow. you hear, when you hear the song that, oh, uh, that's, Sandra Bullock's mom, who's a wonderful, you know, opera singer, singing that part, and so it just all wow. kind of came together, um, like it, like it was predestined or something. And again, once we recorded that song, and once I played those other songs for Carl Field, that's when he was like, "This might make a good record. Let's record yeah. it." And like, uh, he kind of had the vision, guy, right? They're looking at you like, "Who, who are you?" Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it it was a awesome. wonderful, wonderful thing, and he's a great guy, and you know, and uh, you know, we have a, uh, you know, I, there's just this, you know, he's just a wonderful guy, and he still has a you know wonderful place in my heart, you know, for sure. for for doing that. Of course. Oh man, wow, what a great story, oh, man, Bob. This is so cool. Um, all right, can I jump to the next one, or you want to? No, that's it. Uh, that that's yeah, that's it. I I hate that sounds horrible, right? Uh yeah, that's enough of that. Uh no. Uh number seven, Moon Song. Track seven, Moon Song. I like the sun. Let it shine. Uh I don't know what to say about this song really. Um Again, it's just a, you know, it's kind of a sweet little love song. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember really writing it. I don't really have any stories or memories about it. Um, I, I, it's one of the only, it's one of the few songs on the record that, that features Stephen Bruton doing a solo on guitar. So he does a little solo in the middle of it, which is really nice. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and it's another one that's, it really got, it's another one that kind of showcases how much kind of Frankenstein work Carl Field did on this. Because we went in, we probably recorded this song like five or six times. And then he went through and just took the best little pieces from each second of each of those takes and kind of put it all wow. together, you know? So he wow. spent, Carl spent a lot of time really crafting this record. Wow. A lot of how it sounds and, and uh, you know, hardly any of it was played 
you know, I mean, it was all played live, but, but I don't think there's any like full takes where he didn't splice together the best bits. You know, your fans should do like a drinking game and listen to that song and see if they can find maybe the different takes or if they can hear something that distinguishes it from one part to the next, right? They'll uh, be that's interesting. very sober at the end of that game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, uh, we, none of us drank. <laughs> thanks thanks for that great drinking game where nobody drank. <laughs> what else you got for us? Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Hey, okay. That's funny. Uh, well, uh, yeah, what a great... Uh, hey, even if there's no story, there's a story, Bob. See, there's always a story. Um, wow, this next I do, one, I, for I sure. do, I, Sorry, I do, I, I do... Every once in a while, I will come up with something. And again, I don't even come up with it. I'm just writing it down. It's all very... The way I write is very stream of consciousness. So I'm just writing down whatever comes into my head. And then I'm looking at it afterwards. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. So... The whole, I like the way the sun shines on the moon at night. Like, I don't know where that, I, dude, I have no idea where that comes from. I just wrote it down and it was like, that's such a just cool idea. That just takes it in. It's all like from the subconscious. So a lot of people think that I'm just thinking this stuff up, but it's really coming from my subconscious. So the way my brain works and I think the way a lot of creative people work is I was just born, I'm very sensitive and I'm constantly, I'm very hypervigilant. So I'm seeing a lot of information, too much information for me to process consciously. Like I'm the kind of person, like I'll walk into a room and then I'll notice that there's a bug on a wall in the corner that maybe most people wouldn't notice, but I just immediately notice it. And I'm like, oh, there's a bug over there. And I'm like, what? So I'm constantly taking in all this information. I can't hold on to it in my conscious brain because I'm kind of a dumbass. So it all, but it all soaks up into my brain and it's all below my conscious ability to kind of get at it. Wow. It's like a sea of information. And all of these songs come out of that see it's not me like trying to come up with clever shit it's me this stuff is surfacing up in my brain and i'm writing it down and a lot of people will just be like oh yeah it's, i feel like i'm channeling something or it's coming from some other place no it's just coming from this vast trash pile of information that you're just picking up all the time you're just constantly seeing and hearing and it's all going in there and then it comes out of there in like, it's like almost like AI, like AI yeah. oh, wow. in my brain. And it's, I'm just writing it down. And it's like, yeah, this is cool. That's it. So you're and sort of not, experiencing it as well as it comes out. Right. right in a sense. Right. That's as it comes out, Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then I'm like, I like the sun when it shines on the moon at night. What the fuck? That's cool <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> Like and I'm you get excited when that happens. Yeah. Everybody wow. does everybody does who makes stuff, you know. That's cool. You're like so, a gatekeeper to your subconscious, you know. Yeah. That's cool, man. And wow. I do think that as you get older, you're probably taking in less information. Uh you know, you're I think your processing power maybe is throttled a little bit as you get older. Sure. You can still it's something you can still do. You can still 
do it, but maybe not to the degree that you can do it when you're younger. That's interesting. The other problem too, I think as people get older, you know, once you've written like a bridge over troubled waters, which I haven't, thank God, you can't top it. You know, you can talk, you can try and you can write Graceland, which is a great song. It ain't no bridge over troubled waters, but then you got to top Graceland and bridge over trouble. And then at a certain point you're like, well, I just can't top it. It's kind of like, if you're the Rolling Stone, I mean, Rolling Stone's a bad example because they're still killing it after all these years. But, you know, like bands who like get really big and then they start getting less and less popular. And at a certain point, they're like, well, I just don't want to play anymore because I'm not playing for 10,000 people. I don't want to play for 500 people. Sure. Oh, I don't want to play for 50 people. But I think and, maybe that just goes back to what you said earlier about perfection, right? Like if every song you wrote was Bridge Over Trouble Water, then it would have no value. Right. For things to be precious, they must end. Right. So for that song to be that what it is, it's like the other songs can't be good in a way. I don't know. And this is why I don't write songs. <laughs> Dude, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I don't have a buzzer over here. If this is if this is American Idol or America's Got Talent, there'd be a big axe over top of my head right now. Because <laughs> I would hit a... Eh, I, would, I would hit a giant X button during that explanation. But I don't <laughs> have one. So I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Because what you're saying is not correct. <laughs> World exploded in before we continue, let's hear one last time from Bob's fan Facebook group and their thoughts on Lonely Land. Within the first 15 minutes of that movie, I heard this funky earworm playing and I just I just couldn't. I was like, I can't get enough of this. I'm like rewinding the VHS like, oh, crap, what the hell is this? And I learned that that song was Bullets by Bob Schneider. Um, I found it on the, the album Lonely Land from there, and, and 22 years later, I'm still here. Shelly, to your point, can I piggyback on something that you said? That sure. these songs, like for those of us that are, you know, more more sensitive or highly feeling, like these songs with the way that he's such a storyteller help, something that you said made me think, you know, these songs help us process emotions that are things that are too corny or too vulnerable <laughs> to say out loud. But yes. through the songs, we're able to like process some shit. Like we're able to figure it out. Hey, I don't know if you can see it. This this is the train at Lizona Rosa. You can barely read it between all the things. Star tickets. Threadgills, Bob in 07. I miss Threadgills so much, you guys. Like period Great of morning. Bob Schneider saved my life. I, I'll, I'll say it. Bob Schneider really? saved my life. Wow. Absolutely. I will make sure. I will make sure he sees whatever it. whatever thoughts additionally occur to you and become songs like we will take them and love them <laughs> back to bob final thoughts part one when it comes to song like choosing which songs should go on my record how they should be recorded i do feel like there's some weird part of me that maybe i'm not recording songs that would make me more famous or make me more successful. I had a I had a manager tell me one time he goes your most popular song is going to be your least favorite song on the record. 
he was my manager when I recorded uh, A Perfect Day. And after the record was recorded, we sat in my living room and we listened to the whole record, trying to figure out what's what the first single is going to be. And after we had listened to the whole record, he's like, I know which song should be the single. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, what's your least favorite song on the record? And they were the same. My wow. least favorite song was a song called Honey Pot. He's like, that should be the single. What? what? That was the single. That's your least favorite song? I would have never played that song again had that not been a single. But because that what? was the single, I still play it to this day. But I love because, that song. Only because, exactly. well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, how many of those songs have I written that I never recorded or never wanted to record? Oh, I never man. wanted to, I didn't even want to record anybody. Bob, so on this, on, this newest, on this newest record that I just recorded, I just got done recording it over Christmas. Yeah. And I'm recording it with Max Frost. He's the producer and plays most of everything on it. And we record, I think, 11 songs. We're looking for one more song. I'm like, should I record a cover maybe? You know, trying to just That's think That's interesting. And we talk about some, like, I wanted to record like 1999. He's like, no, dude. Because he's like, he's, well, he's, he's 30. So 1999 to him is like. I mean, I love that song. That's but... like a song like, you know, like take the A train. So we, we can't agree on that. And then I play him the song called Coming My Way, which sounds like, I don't know, like some disco song or something. I don't even know what you would call it, like a dance club song. And he's like, dude, this is the best song on the record. I'm like. Uh, this song is not good <laughs> because here's the thing because it sounds like other songs but because it sure. sounds like like other really successful popular songs i think to him he's like oh this is this is a hit like you will get syncs with this like people will want to put this in their movies they will want to put this on tiktok i'm like all right well let's record it and it's by far my least favorite song on the record wow and wow. he's like dude i should have just gone through all your songs so we could have found more songs like this and i'm like i don't want to record more songs like this i like my quirky weird small shit that i do uh, the one of the things that i'm most proud of in terms of my songwriting is there i it, it's i do feel like a lot of my songwriting is very subversive in that i record it to sound very like like yacht rock like very like yacht rock i never heard that before <laughs> yacht rock is like all this That's stuff awesome. from like from like the 70s and 80s, like Christopher Cross or uh, I don't know, just like that sort of easy listening 70s, 80s. Yeah. Paul Simon. Wow. You know, just like easy on the ear. Like I, I, I like to record everything so it sounds very nice and family friendly and stuff. But then lyrically, there's some stuff that's kind of subversive and there are dark or sad. Sure. Or, I, I like the fact that I'm secretly punk as fuck you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and you're not oh, going to get yeah. that unless unless you really get in there and dig or if you go to saxon pub on mondays you can also go oh oh shit what is this <laughs> <laughs> this guy's insane oh man wow that's so cool no i get it uh, i love that yacht rock uh hashtag yacht rock i'm i'm stealing that this concludes part one of two of our track by track discussion featuring bob schneider Lonely Land. Thank you to Bob and his fans for a wonderful discussion on Lonely Land, part one. See you in part two. Sneak peek of part two, tracks eight through 14. Track eight, Madeline. Look, let's go to this next one, uh, which coincidentally on this wiki page, 
is the only one that has your name and someone else's name with it. I'm assuming that's co-songwriting, so I'm curious to hear the story on this, which is track number eight, Madeline. Or is it Madeline or Madeline? Do you think, I do think, like, if you just listen to Lonely Land itself as a thing, there is something very special about oh, yeah. it. So this is the first time I'd ever done anything under my name. First, it was going to be Lonely Land, and then at some point, I decided I'm not going to call it Lonely Land. It was going to be like Wilco, you know, like Wilco calls itself sure. Wilco, even though it's yeah. it's pretty much Jeff Tweedy, but is a band. You've been listening to the Lone Star Plate podcast with your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. For more info, go to LoneStarPlate.show. Well, when I first started doing the song club, what I was going to do is I was, you know, because I've been doing this song game with these people for years where, yeah, you have great songwriters. And uh, I was going to interview a different person from the song game. And there have been hundreds probably in the last 20 years, probably a hundred people. So I'd have wow. a lot of guests sure. and, and real thing, you know, like Ben Folds was in it for a minute and Mike Doty and Robert Rodriguez, you know, just a bunch of famous kind of famous people uh, would would be in it and uh but then i was like i did i did two of them i think i don't want to listen to anybody fucking blah 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 like even my friends who are like funny and interesting i'm like no like, so how did you come up with that song <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, really? I don't care! I do not care! <laughs> I immediately stopped it. I never released them either. I was like, I've got two shows in the can where I'm like trying to fucking hold on for dear life and not shout at people.